0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the TRV Inlap podcast. It's episode 6. I think it's episode 6. Counting up on my hands quickly there. Yes, episode 6 of the podcast and we are of course talking about round 3 of the 2021 WEC season. It was the 6 hours of Monza. Incredibly enough, the first 6 hours of Monza in the WEC era. And once again, I am joined by podcast pal and receptionist who is yet to be let go from his position at the trb headquarters michael haffenden michael first of all how are you doing how's work going and uh, yeah quick thought on the race um i'm doing well
1: i'm slightly overheating right now as is most of the uk the job you mean the secretary role which i started in the last episode yeah Not quite yeah, secretary
0: it's-, yet. it's 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 Really just a a basic admin reception job. Um, Sorry. I've got to have goals, haven't I? So i will work my
1: (laughs) way up to the... I like aspiration you're
0: promoted. I like aspiration
1: (laughs) you're promoted. He's made it. He's made it. Where do I go from here? Um, Yeah, no, it's been great. Um, Really enjoying it. And the race? The race? Oh, we want to talk about the race. (laughs) Um, WEC at Monza. What's not to like? I, abs- I absolutely loved it. I, yeah. I didn't. Unfortunately, it was probably the most dramatic Grand Prix incident we've seen in about over a decade. So mm. I was slightly sidetracked with having to cover that and the internet exploding off the back of that. Mm. But I was also cheekily keeping an eye on the stream while that was going on. But don't tell anyone
0: that. Yeah.
1: Um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to watch the whole thing back yet. But I am working my way through it. And I have obviously caught up on what happened because WC at Monza, as I say, what's not to like? And long overdue that the series is there, I think.
0: And to compound you saying that you weren't able to watch all of it, it was, of course, my birthday. And I'd like to say thank you very much to everyone, uh, TRB followers, who wished me a happy birthday. I had a great day. Uh, It was exceptionally hot here in the UK, uh, which is something that all British people have to mention because we somewhat fall apart when the temperature suddenly switches up a bit so um, I I myself was enjoying the sun so potentially dropping in and out of the race but able to keep across the key storyline so uh, let's dive straight into things and of course the TRB in lap podcast is presented by Racing Edge our long-standing partners great to see uh, they're still on board and also great to see uh, the team getting out and about and, and doing some pretty cool things so make sure you go and follow their instagram at racing edge official and you can see them getting out about testing motorbikes recently i saw them grabbing some serious airtime in some off-road motorbikes so they're having a good time but of part of that we like to discuss what's going on on the racing edge paddock now racing edge sell race cars road cars track day cars anything you want and everything you could possibly want and michael and myself we like to set a little challenge and, and pick a car to a certain theme and we've gone simple this week that it being in monza italy the theme is to just basically pick an italian car that's for sale on the racing edge paddock and we're going to tell you what we've picked and it's up to you guys to pick a winner so just comment below which one you think is best i went first last time michael so it's uh, your go to go first this time what italian car have you picked from the racing edge paddock
1: it's just gonna sound like i've copped out and gone for a ferrari because italian car ferrari we're talking about monza but genuinely the 308 gtb is one of my favorite looking ferraris of all time and that is what i've gone for the 1976 model because first of all absolutely stunning car secondly a ferrari at monza thirdly i don't know whether it's just this heat but i'm I'm not really in the mood for absolutely thrashing something around Mm. i kind of kind of feeling it just appreciating the circuit monza's got a beautiful setting really really pretty circuit and then an equally pretty car i th- I think i just fancy a bit of a, a grand tour around yeah. uh, around monza rather than absolutely hammering it out for lap time i think yeah the the smell of that car the the sound of that car the look of that car at monza it's doing it's
0: a, things to me sensory perfection is the term i'd like it to is. use well <laughs> my pick i've gone for a similar vein but this one really stood out to me it's a 1986 alfa romeo spider graduate uh, it's a slightly different edition but again you know the small little Alfa, top down cruising through milan the city streets you've just stopped off for a pizza and, and you know things like that just screamed yes at me and the thing that really drew my attention was the price Uh, it's currently listed for just below fifteen thousand us dollars which i think is an absolute steal for what it is so those are our picks from michael and myself let us know which one you prefer or why not go over to the racing edge paddock at racingedge.com and see what italian car you might pick from the options there and, yeah, uh,
1: try, try and get to the alpha before me and tim do because we'll be rushing through this podcast just to just to buy the bidding
0: that, war has already commenced <laughs> uh, but yes of course and more importantly if you are in the market for a race road or track car please head over to racingedge.com so let's kick things off then we're going to do our usual climb up the classes in the WEC grid. And uh, actually, before we get started, just like to give a shout out to TRB Associated Driver, Charlie Robertson, who took his first stab at commentary duties at the weekend. He joined the Eurosport team on the coverage of the six hours of Monza. And uh, he looked to be having a lot of fun. So congratulations, Charlie, on uh, having a good race, although it was probably a different experience being high behind the uh, the mic as opposed to being out there on track. And who knows, hopefully we can get Charlie on the podcast sometime in the future. It'd be really cool to speak to him. Of course, a driver with Le Mans experience. So let's see if we can uh drag him into TRBHQ for a, a chat. But GTEM, I felt again, we had the classic GTEM race did not we uh contenders throughout the field. Uh we had trials and tribulations. It was uh, a perfect Italian opera, wasn't it? We had plenty of loud voices singing, plenty of drama. Uh, But once again, the 83 AF Corsa Ferrari coming out on top, uh, heading home that battle, Uh, the top one battle in 2021. If you follow the WBC Instagram, the 98 Aston Martin racing, the Northwest car and the 777 D station racing team. Great to see those guys getting on the podium in GTE. But half your thoughts. What a race once again. Plenty of GTEs going at it and uh, in a class with different drivers, different names. Great to see.
1: Yeah, fantastic again from uh GTM. I think we're we're seeing a battle between GTD and G T D M for who can I don't know how to phrase this, who makes me wonder where to look the most, which class, because at the start of every race, either in GTM this season or in GTD, I'm just like jaw on the floor, like oh my god. <laughs> that is an is official okay? TRP.
0: There's an official TRB award, by the way. The, uh, <laughs> I don't know which one to look at more award, but yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it was quite a clean start, wasn't it? I was kind of worried going into it. I know they split the prototypes and the GTs up, but that didn't do much at out, and we saw quite a chaotic start there. So I was thinking, you've made it through the infamous first chicane. You've made it through the majority of the first lap. Oh, no, they're three wide in GT parabolic Parabolica on the first lap. It was, there, there it is. There's the carnage that we're used to, um but yeah, not not too much in the way of car on car carnage. So that's what we like to see. Yeah, some fantastic battles at the start. It reminded me a bit of Spa, where we had lots of movers and shapers coming up the mm. field. People who started at the back, um progressing through. Like you mentioned, obviously the 83 Ferrari, um, who I am actually going to award my team of the race. Um, we need a of, siren
0: we need a siren we need something to go <laughs> wee, 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 play in the background put a lot of your, a lot of pressure on yourself to edit one in now so yeah i'm lucky <laughs> mate if right just for clarity obviously those listening uh i go back and edit this okay so if you have heard a siren sound i have found the time to put one in <laughs> and if there isn't one then i haven't found the time to put one in so just bear that in mind Okay. Anyway, continue. On.
1: Already, already covering himself off, just in just in case. So, obviously, having to start from the back of that class, and we saw a fight back right from the first stint from Alessio Rivera. I just thought they they got stuck in straight away and executed, and obviously we didn't quite see, as I'm sure we'll come on to the Ferrari GTE Pro glory at Monza. I thought it was appropriate that a car which had battled through after a bit of adversity earlier in the weekend, um, should come through and take the win in AM. So yeah, that was great. And also the the battle at the start of the race where we had uh, Keating, I think it was Keating in, in the Aston. Then we had the 54 and the 83 Ferraris just going hammer and tong every lap with traffic coming through as well. I really, really enjoyed that sort of early. It was about half an hour or so into the race just really enjoyed those early battles just loving GTM this year really am and it's the same like I said earlier with GTD we're we're, we're very much enjoying the pro-am classes this season
0: yeah I think it really offers something doesn't it because we I think that that start was a perfect example of the skill levels that are present in GTM because Rivera is a young driver but he's kind of a sneaky rated driver i believe he's silver rated but he's a pretty strong sneaky young upstart silver and their car was forced to start at the back of the grid and in that first stint they put alessio rivera in whilst the other teams had their am drive if you like the gentleman driver who qualifies the car and therefore has to start the car Typically, they're doing that to try and get their driver time out of the way so they can hand over to the higher rated drivers who can then, you know, either haul the car back into position or hold the position. Basically, saving their best till last is the strategy. And we see that in GTD for comparison. But to go from the back of the grid to right up the sharp end in the opening stint, if that opening half an hour, opening I mean, I think he was maybe fifth or sixth after the first lap. Uh, just fantastic stuff. And I'd like to say that I had my crystal ball out post six hours of uh, Spa earlier this year. And I said he's going to be one to watch. And I, I get the feeling that he's he's heard that and he's now doing exactly that. Because what an opening stint um, from Rivera. But I think the real heartbreak for me was from the TF Sport car. I think you know, they pretty sizable puncture mid-race, I think stripped us of what could have been a very exciting battle. Whether that car would have won, I don't I don't know, because I feel like the pace from the of course, of Ferrari was good. They were good on strategy, etc. But that would have been a really exciting fight at the front. And considering how close the fight was for second, what was ultimately second, we could have had probably a, a four-way fight for the race victory into the final hour or so. Um, ben Keating, who you and I, we, we sing his praises all the time. Uh, once again, putting in a really strong... I mean, what weekend he had. Pole position in GTM, a really strong pole position as well for the uh, the Texican. Um He had a time of uh, seven two a whole seven tenths faster than p2 which was the uh, settler racing at number 47 ferrari but look, keating did a stellar job apart from he admitted in the in-race interview he just locked up too hard on the front right at some point in his opening stint and he could feel the vibration getting worse um sorry front left and it it just so happened that it was one lap too far. He said he was driving 20 minutes trying to save that front left tire. And it just at the wrong, wrong place, wrong time. Bang, tire let go. But that car was then knocked down the order result of them basically that that dead tire just flailing and just absolutely decimating that front left corner. But I think had the TF Sport car escaped that would have been in for a cracking battle and I feel that battle AF Corsa 83 TF Sport 33 Aston Martin and potentially the 47 Settler Racing Ferrari I feel like those are those are the best three cars in the GTM class and I think the champion is going to come from one of those three at the end of the year
1: oh well, we can clip that can't we for when it when it <laughs> does happen and then you can be like I called it like you called did it. for the Spa winner, uh, Spa 24 winner last season. Yeah, I completely agree. We're real shame to see the 33 Cars Challenge end that way. We've seen similar things earlier in the year. Obviously, at Portimao we saw lots of lockups from the D-Station car followed by uh, a big, big puncher. Not quite the same sort of catastrophic front end damage that completely wrecks a race, but... Yeah, I think Keating. from the sounds of that interview, he was very aware of of the fact he'd locked up, which you probably would be. You'd know about it at Monza if you've got a flat spot. The vibrations along, uh, along the straights and into the breaking zones. Um, but yeah, like you said, we had an amazing showdown on the, on the final laps in Am, um, for the for a second as well. So, who knows if the Aston had been in there as well? It might have been a three way fight, but. Yeah, shame we never really got to see that come to fruition. But I, I think it bodes well going into Le Mans that yeah. um, we've got some proven um drivers and AM teams who are going to be up at the sharp end. But we've also got some new guys who are, you know, proving their worth. Settler, of course,
0: the Settler, exactly. of course. I mean, they're brand new to this category after slaving away with the Delara. I bet they feel like they're reaping the rewards of their decision. Monza race, not great for them. Home turf, three Italian drivers in an Italian car, the Italian flag on at the first Italian round uh, of the, the championship history and uh, that instant on the exit of the second Lesmo really cutting their race short and their challenge at the front. But yeah, I mean, they're doing a fantastic... I can't, can't emphasise enough how great a job they're doing with the, what is a brand new car to them. But also... Again, paying tribute to Ben Keating for, I think what really impresses me about him, you can tell he's a clever businessman. You can tell he's a great public speaker, but when he gets asked a difficult question about, you know, essentially what you've just done has ended your team's race, (laughs) you know, for want of a better way of putting it, he really handles that well and it's so evident the way he just says. Uh, you know like th- this racing you know i made a mistake i did my best to drive around it and i'm really sorry to the team and instead of being the you know gentleman driver you could argue that it's just bringing the money and just wants to have a good time and that's like getting too much of him the way he deals with that i think is speaks volumes of what kind of character ben keating is insert the whole section where we spoke about ben keating after the Spa six hours or the Daytona 24, just drop Daytona that in. Summer, yeah. yeah, just drop yeah. that in here. Uh-huh. And of course, if you are playing a TRB in that drinking game, that does mean you have to take a drink uh, because we did mention Ben <laughs> eating being good. Just to quickly cap off GTM, uh, first time appearances for the 61 AF car, Christian Ulrich, uh, man, and Tony Villander as well. Uh, great to see another car joining the grid. I believe that's in preparation for Le Mans. Entry and also seeing the 46 Team Project 1 car um, of Olsen, Bouchard and Root. That was great because uh, those guys had a big incident at the Prologue. Actually, it wasn't even uh, at Spa for qualifying or in a race session, practice session. I believe it was an incident in the Prologue with a 2 damage the chassis. They couldn't get it repaired in time. So I've missed race one, then they haven't been able to source another chassis in time for Portimao. So here they are, first appearance of the season since race three. Talk about throwing yourself in the deep end. But also, thank goodness they got a race in before showing up at the big one at Le Mans. Uh, great to see those guys back out. And also great to see uh, Dennis Olsen and uh, Max Root in that car. Um, Max Root is a name that I have seen in IMSA. I think I've seen him pop up in a couple of GTD cars. So excited to see how he gets on on this side of the pond in Europe, in a GTE machine. And uh, of course, the 388 Rinaldi racing uh, car of Eret Hook and Blicke Molen. Uh, of course, Jerome Blicke Molen can't uh, stay away from Le Mans. He has to race every Le Mans. Although it's interesting that the commentary team pointed out this would be the first time that Ben Keating hasn't raced with Jerome Blicke Molen in the same car. So Keaton going it alone this year, and uh, the the happy marriage has uh, they're spending some time apart, should we say? Uh, well, well, let's wrap up GTM there, and let's move on to the uh, the premier GT class, which is GTE Pro. Uh, look, okay, it's not healthy viewing to see only four cars taking to Monza, but this is this is the GTE Pro world we live in at the moment. It's at least it's one more car than your average sprint race in Imsa in the uh, respective category. So let's not take it for granted, but the main, the main storyline here is, and I I tweeted this post race, Porsche winning is as close as you can get to an away day victory in racing as, as is possible. I mean, to come to a circuit that is, it literally is made of Ferrari. It's it's surprising that the asphalt itself isn't red. Uh, And to perform, that well, being that convincing throughout the entire race to be able to hold off Ferrari, to be able to attack. I mean, we were previewing this race and we were talking about BOP and, you know, even in my five things to watch post I put out uh, before the race, I was expecting, in all honesty, the AF course Pro Cars to be fairly unbeatable, but just pays tribute to Kevin Estra and Neil Yanni once again winning, once again proving that as a duo they're they're a really really solid lineup
1: yeah definitely i I, it's funny isn't it because like you say we obviously i think we're now getting used to the fact that race by race we've only got four cars in that in that category but to me it really wasn't an issue at all at monza we had a fantastic battle for the duration and also just a quick side note those Those cars, I know, I know we're late into the GTE era now and and we've we've had its peak. And and this is this is not a time where we're celebrating huge amounts of manufacturers in the category, and and, but we still obviously got the great racing. What I want to say is I think both of those cars have now got the sweetest liveries they've ever had on them. (laughs) The sweetest, sweetest factory liveries. The slow-mos of those those cars, curb hopping at Ascari, is genuinely, Graeme Goodwin said it best at the time, poetry in motion. Mm. Absolutely clarting the kerbs, throwing the carts over the kerbs, through Ascari at Monza. Beautifully red Ferrari followed by um, very clean white Porsche. Just something about that made me very... I was genuinely smiling at my screen watching that live. I think we like, all were. This is, I, this I, is I, great.
0: You, you can't not. The only thing that would have made it slightly better. There's the only possible way it could have been better. And I know the shot you're referring to is if it was at dusk and you got a bit of oh. glowing glowing brake disc in there, and a little bit of headlight flare. That would have really yep. just pepperoni on the pizza. It's no, the Italian. I know what
1: I'm I know what I'm thinking about before I fall asleep tonight. That'll be flashing <laughs> through my mind. Um <laughs> not the pizza, the, oh. the cars. Oh um, okay.
0: Reduce grid, we know what's going on. We know where we're at with GT Pro, yet it still is a battle worth winning. Look, let's be honest, if Porsche and Ferrari were like, oh, no one's doing this, we don't want to race, see ya. They're still here. They're still pretty much beating the living daylights out of each other. And one of my particular favourite points was clearly one of the Porsches, I can't quite remember if it was the 91 or 92, had been fuel saving behind one of the Ferraris and uh just the call over the radio which was saying you've got do you reckon you can get past whoever it was that was driving which i think uh at the time i think it was jimmy bruni obviously italian as well so it's quite cool to see him driving at his home race he was asking do you think you can get past the ferrari he said i think i can give it a good go engineer says you've got five laps to do it no fuel save and like that just like oh go for it give it everything like it's so exciting to see these drivers are still giving absolutely everything. They are fighting tooth and nail for these victories as if, you know, all of them are potentially not going to race the next week or something like that. You know, it's got that diehard feeling to it. And building that is Neil Yarny. I feel like he's really starting to develop. Okay. He had one mistake where he sent a move late on his teammate, went in deep at the second chicane and had to kind of back out of it and Sort himself out, but for a driver that's used to prototype stuff and has only done what this is his fourth race in the RSR 19, if you inc- include the 2020 Sebring 12 Hours, he's complimenting Kevin Estrin in, in the right ways and in the right places. And then I feel like as a team, they're two very good their characters, match you know. We talk, you only have to watch Truth in 24 and listen to Alan Nish talking about how. Uh, dr ulrich is was amazing at reading characters and going you know this this driver needs this because he's like this and this person is like this you get the feeling that kevin Estras does all his talking on the racetrack but there's something about the character with neil Yarni, who i feel is quite methodical and is is rapid and wants to learn and will listen that they're they're matching each other i mean what a lineup. I'm really excited to see how this car goes at Le Mans. It's gonna be a whole different experience for Yani, but I think I think he can really start patting himself on the back. I mean, we said this at Spa, didn't we? I know you were quite strong in saying it, Half, that for a first go in WEC racing in a GTE pro car, he did a great job. And now only two races later, he's picking up another win in class and and complimenting Kevin Estra fantastically.
1: Yeah, I think you put it best there. He's he's doing exactly what he needs to do, and he's complimenting one of the best, if not the best GT driver in the world right now. Um, that's that's what he needs to be doing. He doesn't need to be setting the timing screens alight light or doing the fastest average lap times of the class every time he steps into the car. He needs to be making the right calls in traffic and, like you say, complimenting Esther in that car, She's doing perfectly. Um, And what we saw, I was slightly worried going into the race that we'd see the the typical trait of Porsche strong on Saturday, Ferrari far stronger on Sunday, and we saw that in Portimao where it basically wasn't really a race after the first stint. Um, And certainly, Porsches are still they were still wary at Monza of tyre wear, but obviously Monza a much less abrasive surface than Portimao, which is notoriously a bit of a tire killer and yes there was a 30 second gap at the flag but that doesn't really it doesn't really do justice it's like a football or a tennis scoreline not doing justice to actually how close the match was or, or the games were they were locked in battle the full way through that and I think Yanni said that they were actually quite grateful at the Porsche camp for having a bit of cloud cover in as they got into the race because at the start of the race they felt like ferrari were very strong when when the sun was shining and the track temps were higher and then the cloud cover came and um i read an interview of yanni saying that the left rear was basically saved by that that cloud cover um i like to think me and you have some experience of that with the iron clouds they have on i racing where we can we can go like 30 mile an hour quicker through the porsche curves whenever it's cloudy on that yeah um but yeah very interesting and that's the stuff we love in endurance racing isn't it those changeable conditions and those uh dynamic factors having an outcome on the race that's what we love to see
0: Let, let's you know extrapolate that great use of that word I might say uh, <laughs> and apply it to le mans a 24 hour race day night two very different sets of conditions in the, the final week of august <laughs> where it could potentially be baking. I mean, we're in a current little mini heat wave here in Europe, and there's another one expected around that time, I believe. We could have a race where Ferrari just walk away from Porsche with ease in the first eight hours, and then overnight Porsche bring that gap back and then add some more on to their lead. And then they've got to hold on to it through till 3pm on Sunday afternoon. And that's before we even factor in the the two IMSA Corvettes. They're obviously racing at Le Mans for the first time this year, having missed out last year. So another potential direction for the performance pendulum to swing. Seeing these cars, how they work in different ways, different conditions, different strengths, different weaknesses. I mean, the Porsche was great on traction out of the chicanes at Monza, but definitely still didn't quite have the legs on the Ferraris which we've been saying all season I mean at Le Mans this is just I mean you could balance these two cars better I don't think so I think we're in for a, a proper a proper head-to-head at Le Mans I really hope that we don't you know we get all four cars through the night and through into Sunday because I think it'd be a real shame if we lost a car or two because <laughs> It's not like it's a couple of contenders. It's half the field. Okay, What, half the field? I mean, we've got such a... We've got a great GTE pro field this year with hub auto racing, you know, stepping up from GTE. We've also got the WeatherTech Porsche as well and the two Corvettes, like I've mentioned. But really hope we get these cars through. But yeah, and I I think we could probably go on out hour after hour heaping praise (laughs) on Kevin Estra, couldn't we? But
1: we could yeah
0: again we and well way.
1: deserved as well yeah. i mean if we, if we if we're talking high temperatures at Le Mans, springing surprises we only need to look back to 2017 when we saw lmp2 cars on the podium and what class are we covering next and what class was on the overall podium tim
0: that's Ooh. a segue for you my friend yeah you, i mean you rode that segue well my friend Thank great you. job incredible Appreciate i would it. clap but I, d- I just don't want to. Um, LMP2 <laughs> class. We're nearly there. We're into to category three of four. Uh, United Autosports back on the top step of the podium, but also on the third step of the overall podium. Important to add. Uh, their first time, I believe, on the overall podium. Phil Hansen, Fabio Scherer and Felipe Albuquerque getting it done once again in the number 22 leading home, the 31 team WRT car of Robin Frants, uh, Ferdinand Habsburg, and Charles Miletzi, then Racing Team Netherlands on the podium. Uh, they, I mean, that's impressive considering that they had to make two substitutions pre-race as a result of uh, positive COVID tests. Nick de Vries in the car and Paul Loup-Shatan getting in, doing what they needed to be do that needed to do on a call-up. Fantastic stuff from them, and I think they really deserve that podium. Look, yeah, let, I mean, let's just talk about that. We saw hypercars having a bit of a difficult race, but once again, LMP2 cars were solid at Monza. I think, like you say, we are in for a very close, potentially close event should things uh, fall the way of an LMP2 car. Still, I still think that even after Monza, where the gap between the two classes was, I feel, the biggest it's been all season. This Oroco 07 is just solid, isn't it? There's you can't really fault it. It's probably one of the best sports cars of the last 10 years. Reality, let's be honest. It is, isn't it? It is a fantastic prototype. And to see the level of competition, the, the standard, I think is the word I'm looking for, that we've got now in WEC, the driver standard as well. I mean, the the guys in these cars are effectively all pro lineups. They're not really because they can't be in LMP2, but they effectively are, aren't they? I mean, you know, you, you look at Freintz, Habsburg and Malaysia and that just sounds like an all-pro lineup, doesn't it, Robin? Freintz, Audi driver, Habsburg, been an Audi driver in DTM, etc. cetera. Malaysia, who's been proving his value in GT3, Audi, Machinery, I believe, as well. So you can, can't get better than that. And we're in for a stellar race, I think, in LMP2 when, it, when we roll around to Le Mans.
1: Yeah, I think we got a preview of it at Monza, didn't we? We we saw, especially early on, some some great battles, and again the differences, the strategy, sort of long game played by some of the AMs starting, and oh, it was just great to see again. And I'm so excited to see what that class can do at, at Le Mans. It's going to be interesting because one of the main, I think, appeals over the last few seasons with well since since these this generation of p2 came in in 2017 has been just how much of a rocket ship those cars are at Le Mans um obviously we know they've been pegged back a bit for this season so we won't see the overall lap times that we've seen previously but it hasn't affected the the wheel-to-wheel racing um so far this season and that's that's the main thing I know we're chatting about that in a previous episode about lower speeds in the top category, we, we don't mind, uh, um, as long as it's still, the racing's still close. And they've got a fantastic chance, probably the best chance since 2017, um, if not definitely in the last decade of getting onto the overall podium, and dare I say it, winning Le Mans. I, w- I will come out and say that. We saw, saw issues for both Toyotas, I've, I'm surprised we haven't seen issues like that sooner, to be honest. Obviously, we had one of the Toyotas having a brake issue at Spa.
0: Which we'll get onto. Get onto all this in the next one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we will do. And we saw one of them stopping out on track at Spa as well. I can't remember which number that was. So we have seen a couple issues here and there, but nothing on the level that we saw at Monza. And it, it must it must be encouraging for the P2 teams to think We've seen in the past we can take advantage and nearly win overall if the top class falters. This is a completely new set of regulations. And yes, we've got a grandfathered LMP one in there which should run reliably, but it's just the one of those. So
0: we're not far off, are we? That's what you know, that's definitely what I'm saying. We're not that far off. Um and yeah, like you say, the the race was really decided by strategy, unfortunately. Um, with the safety car that followed on from TF Sports' uh, puncture. Basically, some of the field pitted just as it happened and it kind of worked perfectly. Others kind of got caught out by being stuck out on track, had to pit and then for emergency service and come back in again. Um, I think the WRT car was really quick this weekend. Uh, Malaysia obviously getting pole position, uh, WRT's first pole in WEC Racing as well, which is a a big tick off the to-do list for that team who have been pretty much the team to beat the benchmark in ELMS racing at the moment. And uh, to see them, you know, get, get what they deserve, I feel, in weck was really cool. But the the level of competition is just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, you only had to see how hard Alex Brundle was pushing in his stint in the number 34 into Europol car. I mean, Brundle's a driver who has done a lot of sports car stuff. He races classic cars. He's been racing prototypes for a while now. He's an exceptionally well-rounded driver. He knows when to push, when to hold back, when to make a move, when to you know take his time in traffic. He, he's got that ability. We only had to see it last year in the United Auto Sports car at Le Mans, pushing flat out in the night and driving, probably putting in the stint the stint of that team's race in the 32 car but to see him basically sending one on uh, a his competitor i think it was the arc bratislava car into the first chicane because he he, he just thought, oh, i need to get past i just need to do it. i need to go now i need to make the move almost that rushed element you start thinking wow he's actually really having to try now this isn't just a case of the cream rises to the top this is the whole field's cream, basically.
1: <laughs> you heard it here <laughs>
0: first. Uh, don't write that in the TRB press release.
1: Out uh, of context in that.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Someone start <laughs> that Twitter page. Someone start, out of context TRB, the whole LMP2 cast is cream. Wow, it's ridiculous, isn't it? The stuff <laughs> I come out with on this. Crazy. We're only on episode six and I've become a meme without realising. But anyway. Look. Disappointment of the race for me personally. Potentially. Jota, I thought they had such a strong Portimao race. Whatever they had there, I don't think carried on. We spoke about momentum in the previous podcast about how they just had everything go their way at Portimao. And if they could continue that, teams were going to be scratching their heads by the time we get to La in August. But didn't really feature, in my opinion, P5 for Galeel, Van Dorn and Blomqvist. A lap down as well. Expect to see a bit more from those guys. In all honesty, and the the um, number thirty-eight card, not classified, which is a bit of a shame as well to see them getting a DNF. But they'll come back fighting. And of course, Jota, half the team that uh, I believe ran the uh, the P twos that got onto the podium overall in twenty seventeen. So wow,
1: it all it all
0: the circle all of together.
1: endurance racing.
0: The, the stars come together. The stars are aligning. The, <laughs> Venn, the Venn diagram of Jota and LMP2's overall podium could be about to overlap again. Um, cool. cool. So, uh, final point in LMP2 great to see the Rissi competency on car as well.
1: Yes, I was waiting to, to say this. <laughs> Slightly confusing having the number one on the nose because we've already, of course, got a number one LMP2, the Rissi of Mill. Uh, racing entry
0: um, which just so, yeah, to, just that... To, on, on, on that car Richard Mill. only two drivers this weekend in uh, Caldron and Flush as well so interesting to see those girls dealing with uh, just having two two drivers in the team over six hours but doing a pretty strong job finishing eighth overall uh, sorry eighth in class anyway carry on risky competition only.
1: I think that car looks fantastic as well I really <laughs> like it I wasn't sure I was a bit conflicted about the whole Risi and P2 thing because as Martin Haven said in commentary is having to actively stop himself from saying Ferrari after he finished the word competizione um, which is completely understandable because they're just so so synonymous with running a Ferrari Um, but yeah I think it's quite hard to get a red and yellow livery that that works sometimes some some teams get it very right and some it, it's quite easy to get it quite wrong speaking from just seeing lots of red and yellow liveries online in in like eye racing lobbies and it's just hurting my eyes but just to say for those clean, listening we,
0: we are opening the door back into livery corner now as well we're going back in to discuss liveries it's always <laughs> a, a pertinent topic on the TRB and that but like you say oh well on the topic of liveries um i believe it was martin haven said. It would be strange to see Ricci Competi only running anything other than a red car, but he forgets the blue 2019 Ferrari. Uh,
1: that's a controversial
0: livery, isn't it? With the horse legs down the side, <laughs> but I Edward, quite
1: like it. I quite like it. You definitely <laughs> didn't like it when we were trackside at the moment, which we were in 2019, by the way, and in 2018 and in 2017, and they were like the best weekends of our lives, just to mention. <laughs> just cool. to mention that again because we have to get it into to every
0: podcast not holding on to it but yeah look it's weird isn't it rizzy running a p2 am i hoping that it's because they want to run a hypercar ferrari yes do i think that will happen don't know and we're going to keep fingers toes and limbs crossed that it does happen absolutely will everyone else listening to this and michael across this zoom call yes as well we will do so Look, great to see them out there. Great to see the driver lineup as well. Uh, cool to see Ollie Jarvis getting uh, a run-out in work with Ryan Cullen and Felipe Naza. I mean, what a strong LMP2 lineup that is. Um, what well, I
1: will say as well is we've seen this year in WEC the newcomers getting up to speed incredibly quickly. People like, I know D-Station obviously have a bit of assistance in in running the car, of course but people like the Settler Ferrari, which we always bang on about, people like WRT, who have, like you said, become the benchmark in ELMS pretty much this, so far this season, and could well have, they are in the running for the victory until a little bit of a, a strategy blunder, which I know Van, some of us just said, look, we're, we're new to this, we're still learning. Mm. And the thing with those two teams is, it's easy to forget that they're new to it because they are so on the pace. Um, and right up at the sharp end so it's encouraging for Ricci. obviously a well-established team with a great driver lineup so I don't see any reason why they can't get up to speed and at least have a, a decent run at Le Mans because we know in the last certainly 2019 wasn't an easy run at all for them they were just lacking pace entirely throughout the whole race week really of Le Mans um, but yeah this is a fresh start for them and they've got Obviously, a strong team and a very strong driver lineup, and like I'm saying, they they've seen other teams come into it who are fresh to to the series, and and they're already getting some cracking results.
0: I mean, nothing screams getting up to speed like qualifying P five on debut, only three tenths off, uh, you know, WRT and United Auto Sports at the top of the class. So. Yeah, a really strong showing from Rizzy, And like we both say, exciting to see what these guys can do at Le Mans in uh, around a month's time, actually. I think this is exactly a month's time or so um, from now till, till Le Mans week anyway. So the countdown begins. Uh, let's head on then to the final category of today's uh, podcast. I think it's time, maybe we just throw in our, uh, our little sly... Uh, comment see if people have listened this far um and i feel like if you just comment below i'll get your impression on this half list if they just comment below like their favorite pizza It could be quite interesting because it's italian yeah very nice. stereotypical i know but like i feel like if a comment section's filled with like margarita or or maybe people saying whether they think pepperoni uh, not pepperoni pineapple should go on pizza
1: yeah i feel like this uh, yeah yeah Let's I mean, let's, let's could...
0: confuse people. Let's confuse the new arrivals. Yeah. Uh, if, and... if you
1: had to eat it off any of the curbs at Monza, which <laughs> corner would you choose? That, you that's have, that's if you had to it. eat a
0: pizza off the, the the nose of any car in the wet paddock, which one would it be? Uh, my vote is going for the Inter <laughs> Europol Competition car. I think that'd be quite fun. No, one of the lichiers because it's got a bit of a scoop, is not it? It'd be quite. Oh, that's
1: good. That's practical. Also, the last race for that Ligier, so do it while you can. Oh, yeah, um, of
0: course. ALC Bratislava ditching it for the Orica.
1: Yeah. I might go for the Glickenhaus, you know, because, hear me out here, very steep nose, but quite a consistent gradient to it. So I feel like I could judge if the pizza was sliding. This is ridiculous. Let's move <laughs> but on. Let us know in the comments below, which pizza are you eating off which car? I can't believe those <laughs> words coming out of my mouth.
0: And if someone does Are we do committing
1: to this? Are we committing to this? Let's
0: do it. Look, well, let's test the people. We're testing you to see if you've made it this far. What <laughs> flavour style pizza and what car are you going to eat it on? In the comments, <laughs> go now. Just do it now before we start the final category. Done it? Good, right. Okay, final Good. category. Hyper car. Look, we're in race three. And I think we had the the race we've been expecting to have from Hypercar this first season of the new rule set. I want to start off by saying, great to see the number seven team winning. I think that's something they really need as a crew, especially in this new era. It proves that they can get it done. They didn't have it easy, did they? Uh, With Kamui Kobayashi stopping out on track, going to give him... Uh, interrupt to give him my driver of the day pick
1: well deserved
0: uh, here's why siren tim in post edit play the siren now if you can be bothered if you can't apologies for the editing quality production quality of this podcast but anyway um look you've done five hours and 15 minutes odd of pretty intense racing as a team you're covering off an attack from behind from now two cars in terms of the Alpine uh, XLMP1 car and the Glickenhaus, which was very much up to speed, I feel like, this weekend. And to have a failure, a problem, right (laughs) in this final hour, and for Kobe Ashley to do everything right, I felt. Pulled to the side of the track, stopped, switched the thing off, switch the thing back on again, wait. Cut to, you know, he wasn't getting flustered. They didn't cut to an onboard of him throwing his hands up in the air. He wasn't shouting and screaming over the radio. Yes, he gave a pretty solid message saying something's gone wrong, cars cutting out, whatever. But there wasn't this extremely, you know, overt reaction to it. And I think that is why I picked him for my driver of the day to basically have a race ending issue occur and he dealt with it to perfection um but let's talk in more about the rest of the hypercar class because for me glickenhouse what a weekend for them i mean (laughs) race two for them two cars now as well on the grid they were very much competitive
1: yeah 100 percent before we do mention Glickenhaus in in Monza, I will say I very much enjoyed the TRB Glickenhaus Goodwood video. Fantastic work on that, mate. I know I'm not alone in seeing some of the comments on that. So nice work. And let's see more of you in front of endurance racing cars on camera, please, in the future. But yeah, fantastic weekend for Glickenhaus. I, I think probably surprised a lot of people, including ourselves. I know we went, Uh, on a a slight rant in the Portimao podcast episode um, because we kind of felt it was quite disappointing for the amount of hype that there had been around that car but we also did include the caveat that we know Monza's the car's designed for Le Mans right we know that we know Monza's a way more telling track of, of what your car might be like at Le Mans compared to somewhere like Portimao and we also know that they've tested at Monza pre-season, so we knew they were going to be stronger, but that much stronger. I, uh, yeah, I'm very, very impressed with that. And I think they did exactly what they needed to do. I, I don't think anyone except Toyota is expecting to put, well, apart from Alpine at Portima obviously, because they did have the overall pace. But in terms of being able to win unless the Toyota's have issues i don't think Alpine and Glickenhouse are kidding themselves saying we're going to rock up and take pole and run away with it they know that's not realistic at the minute so what they've got to do is put the pressure on Toyota whichever way they can force an issue or just be there to capitalize when they do have when they do run into troubles that's exactly what they were able to do both both the Alpine and glickenhouse were able to capitalize off Toyota's Mechanical woes this weekend and heading into Le Mans. We have an unproven so far at Le Mans new hypercar from Toyota, and yes, the Houses as well. And yes, there's only one of the Alpine, so we could well just be looking at a P2 coming and capitalizing on those if all the cars have issues. But yeah, I, I was massively impressed with that. I think I saw that the 709 was only 0.4. Of a second off in terms of average race pace and still able to do the 30 lap um stints that toyota was doing in the race if you told us that after portum out yeah. we would have been like where are you getting your stats from mate because that that is that the same car and 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 fantastic and to, from them
0: and and to just add an asterisk to that point that's not because you and i are down treading Glickenhouse or we don't think they're worthy it's because we think they've got a plenty of potential that we felt maybe wasn't obviously we'd like to see them reach that, but we feel like there was something stopping them or a couple of things that was potentially a barrier to that potential being unlocked. I feel like the two cars made a difference as well. Feel like they just had more strings in their bow, uh, notes on the piano, whatever phrases you want to throw at it, uh, tools in the in the box. Pizzas on the nose. pieces on the nose. Uh, <laughs> But that car was quick. The 007 was quick this weekend, proven by the fact that they got the fastest sectors in sectors one and two, beating the Toyotas. And look, could they have won the race if they didn't have to do that late uh, race break change? Probably. I don't think the Toyota would have been able to catch them. Um. And if the issue for the Toyota compounded and continued, I mean, we weren't that far off seeing Glickenhaus win overall or, or get second place in only their their second race in the championship. I mean, it is really a strong showing. Look, if this trend of form continues, this upward trend, I mean, we're in for a Stella Le And I think, like you say, yes, okay, they, they might, not be setting the pace if they're not too far off if their gap if their loss of time to toyota is minimal that really puts the pressure on toyota to to stamp these problems out and kumiri kobayashi was quite public in saying post-race got a lot of work to do to to win this year for toyota um and and i feel like this is something else i wanted to discuss we we, we've mentioned before this not hate but uh potentially distasteful or down-treading comments that toyota get um follows of similar ilk to mercedes doing well in f1 racing's boring they always dominate i hope they have problems kind of thing toyota's built this new car and are running it flat out like they they are racing they are pushing absolutely everything and i think this uh narrative of we need toyota to do badly and we need them to not you know we need them to have problems to create a good race is is not the attitude we should have and and i know that i've been guilty of that potentially in the last few years where they've been out and out the fastest p1 and the only way we're ever going to get a race is if something goes wrong for them. But I feel like in this new era, we should be hoping that actually they have a good race. And more importantly, Glickenhaus and Alpine have a great race because they are not too far off each other. Let's be honest. We we I do feel like we're set for a really good race at Le Mans. We had it here at Monza. We had all three brands. OK, albeit one's a slightly different car. It's not quite hypercar, is it? But they're all there. They weren't too far off each other. It wasn't like someone was six laps down after an hour. You know, they, they were all fairly closely matched. And across the race, we saw the usual, you know, traffic giving and taking away pace. We saw, uh, you know, driver changes, someone getting in and being quicker and closing a gap. We, we saw basically this hypercar category giving us the race we've wanted for a little while now and, and really the race that this class is hopefully going to start giving us downside to that is we did have the problems and um, you could argue that that was what really provided the excitement and maybe gave it a bit more competitive spirit, a competitive nature than that we would have had with Toyota have just one two it potentially. But I feel like they would have been harried the whole way. But yeah, your comments half on on Toyota. You know they are having problems. There is a new car, it's a brand new car. I think we're finally seeing the teething issues that we expect the new car problems that we so often talk about. Yes, we saw them a little bit at, at Spa with the number seven car having the big lockups, and again at Monza we saw it with the number eight having the huge lockups and Brendan Hartley nearly taking out the ninety eight. Aston Martin just skipping across at the uh, first chicane but Toyota are really digging deep and I I don't think wishing bad upon them is the way we should be you know the the general consensus should be heading into Le Mans
1: Yeah I I 100% agree we definitely had a section of the podcast last time where it was a sort of 5 minutes or 10 minutes of appreciation for Toyota because they do deserve it they've completely propped up the, the dying days of LMP1 and they've gone full commitment to this new era and they're locked into this new era now because they've been fully committed to it straight away so yeah, props to Toyota as always they will be slightly concerned and like like you said, they are concerned going into Le Mans they know they've got work to do but we know I think Pascal Vasselon said it's completely natural we, it'd be weird if a racing team wasn't concerned or wanting to sort things going into the biggest race of the year. They're not the only ones who've got, let's say, issues in some cases, fundamental design issues in the case of the Alpine. I don't know how on earth they're going to fare at Le Mon. They're just going to have to hope for a reliable run, I think, because we've seen them now go for out and out pace at Spa and Portimao, able to push Toyota and challenge them on track but unable to strategically be able to keep up because of the fuel deficit. Then we've seen them at Monza, lifting and coasting like there's no tomorrow, obviously had a bit of a power issue at the start of the race as well, which allowed the 709 Glickenhaus to close up quite significantly. But in general, that was their strategy to lift and coast a lot more, try and save fuel and be closer at least. And they were, I think it was, we've seen gaps of sort of seven and eight laps shorter stints from Alpine. I think it was only three or four that we saw at, at Monza. So to an extent, yes, they closed that gap, but it did mean that there wasn't that pace pressure on Toyota that we've seen in the first two races of this season. But yeah, my point is Toyota aren't the only ones you've got issues to sort. Yes, it was a massively encouraging weekend for Glickenhaus, but unfortunately the 708 this race was plagued by problems right from the very start. Saw so Durrani dropping back in that car, and also, of course, we potentially the 709 would have won if it wasn't for that. Um, the brake wear issue, which was a lot higher than what they were expecting. I mean, the fact that they were in a position to capitalize on Toyota and lead for what albeit a sector because it was on an in lap that
0: well, they did lead is actually. It's actually charted on the official lap charts. They led two laps. So okay. be even better than just the sector that I think we, I, I certainly thought it was just the final sector of the lap. Yeah,
1: but. yeah, same. I thought that he got past Kobayashi because Kobayashi stopped on the run down to Ascari. I thought the Glickenhaus was on an in lap at that point. But Could yeah, be wrong, but it, according, to the, I according, according to, to the... They've got uh, it charted down. According to
0: the Alchemelsystems.com lap chart, <laughs> car number 709. Uh, albeit under full course yellow, I believe uh, mm-hmm. led laps one three seven and one three eight. But wow. for them to lead, so the point is they led after Portimao if, if we'd said
1: that, and that late into the race as well, to the point where if they didn't have the issue, they they could could quite feasibly have but, won it. But we know that having brake issues going into Le Mans, a track where you need a lot of stopping power and you need brake durability, Lickenhaus have got problems to solve there. They need to get the second car, if you like, the 708. They need to get on top of the reli- reliabilities that hampered them, and they need to get on top of the brakes. They've solved the tyre issues they had from Portimao. Yes, Monza's a lot less abrasive. But, you know, this is this is the nature of having a new set of regulations. Each car is different. Each team is a different way of working through the problems, and they're getting different problems thrown at them. So each team, I think, has quite considerable work to do heading into Le Mans, which is exciting.
0: Yeah, and that's exactly what this kind of pre-Le Mans race is all about, isn't it? We see it as Spa and races, uh, seasons gone past with cars showing up to be tested and raced at Spa before then going to Le Mans. But, uh, you know, throw this in, okay, the, the number seven car stopped with an issue. It fundamentally, had a technical issue, a mechanical issue. It had to stop, recycle the car. I think it was actually an electrical issue, but say they just had to pit to change a tire with a puncture. Or maybe like the number seven car had to do in Le Mans 2019, where they had that sensor issue and the wrong tire. And then um, Jose Maria Lopez had to pit twice in the final hour. That, I mean, that, that cost them the same amount of time as. The, the problem that the number 7 car had at Monza this weekend you know, it might not be an issue like we say, a mechanical issue, it might not be a failure that that brings someone else into contention, it could just be a, a, a usual Le Mans giveth and taketh away, not over till the fat lady sings, Le Mans chooses its winner you know, all that kind of stuff that could be what hands Glickenhaus win and like we're saying, off the back of this race, if they're able to do what they did at Monza, be quick, be very much consistent and on the pace, like you say, average lap time, bang on. Drivers look to be in fine form as well. Um, Particularly Roman Dumas, who I know I feel like you're going to interject here, there was a wry smile across the face of half. Dumas, Again, great drive from him. I feel like I'm gonna have. it I feel like he's about to receive your, your driver of the driver of the, the weekend.
1: He is, he is indeed. Insert the alarm siren here. <laughs> I've
0: got to ding, do it so ding. many times. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um yeah, I thought it was a great performance from him. To be expected. I mean Glickenhouse have a very strong driver lineup. Every I mean, it's almost Strong driver lineups becoming a cliche that we say across the work and the podcast, isn't it? Because there's so many of them. But I really do think Glickenhouse have very, very strong lineups. Dumas is obviously quality, just a, a world class driver with absolute buckets of experience. And he was using that experience. I don't think the Glickenhaus was it looked like it looked transformed, didn't it? From what we saw where it was qualifying at Portimao and the car was dancing around all over the place. The rear end was not gripping. It looked a proper handful. And at the start of the race, it was running wide and in amongst the P2s and the GTs. It just looks so much more settled this weekend. And that's when drivers like Dumas can be like, okay, we're not just playing survival here. We we can. I know we can push this now. And in the fourth hour of the race, he was the fastest car on track for a good period of time. So that's not... I know we said, yes, the race came alive because of Toyota's issues, but Glickenhaus were the fastest car on track at that point
0: in time the, the, on merit. The, to, to round off your point, the race was already alive. <laughs> the race hadn't stopped. It the race wasn't is. over.
1: It always is in endurance racing. This is the thing. I think we've become so spoilt in the last decade and especially in the last... Five years or so, I'd say, because of not just in GTs, but the the wheel to wheel battles that we saw in the peak LMP1 hybrid era, closely then followed by when that started to demise, we had Audi pull out and Porsche pull out, we were completely transfixed on GTE. And then sort of LMP1 became this old school race of are they going to have an issue? Who can capitalize? It's kind of the old school endurance style of. Uh, of racing but that's just because we're not having wheel-to-wheel battles doesn't make it a bad race an endurance race in my opinion there's always a jeopardy there something could go wrong like you say it doesn't have to be a car issue it could be an issue in traffic it could be a puncture it could be anything that happens and like we've seen that Claxon here for mentioning probably the most normy example of, of Le Mans racing we can but 2016 it's not over till it's over you have to make the checkered flag and especially if you're a Toyota fan you know the feeling all too well of I'm not going to get comfortable with this car leading because anything can happen and that I, I don't I don't uh subscribe to the we need wheel-to-wheel racing to have great endurance racing we're just very very lucky that Nine times out of ten, we do. Yeah,
0: completely agree. I very much agree. I almost don't have anything to to follow on from that point. I think, yeah, wow, that you're right. Look, endurance racing is about building the car that's going to win across the length of the race. I mean, feel free. That I feel like that's another in lap out of context tweet. There, great job, Tim. Just summing up endurance racing, but look. There's plenty that can go wrong. Traffic, like you say, with the hypercar being slower now compared to the LMP1, traffic is more of an obstacle to the drivers, more chance something could happen there. We are starting to see this class, I think, find its feet. And I think a lot of that is coming through Glickenhouse's presence and emerging presence now. Um, so I'd like to give them, at my siren, uh, team, of the, team of the weekend, Feel like they handled the problem with the seven hundred eight pretty well. Shame that that was terminal, and the way they almost faultlessly run the seven hundred nine all weekend was was really good. Great to see the the whole team take a step in the right direction. Um, wanted to add on to this conversation about hypercar, the stratification, the difference between the two classes, as we've come to to learn its uh, its name, its um, title from the ACO and FIA and WEC and whoever else wants to be involved. But I feel like we are going to be okay at Le Mans. In terms of actual pace difference, I feel like there will be a noticeable difference between the two classes. It's not going to be massive, I wouldn't say, but I felt like at Monza we could see a definite difference in pace whereas at spa it took i mean the the united auto sports car was basically in the in the way of the alpine for the whole first couple of hours and then even at portimao you know we had uh penalties for cars that were ignoring blue flags they weren't really ignoring them they were just quick enough to be in front still i think the toyota took six laps in practice to pass uh, one of the lmp2 cars because it was just quick across the lap in comparison monza i felt like we finally saw a difference and it wasn't outrageously large but it was enough to be able you know say that was the first race i'd seen i'd be able to differentiate between the two classes um and i think that's bodes well for Le Mans. I think maybe we're starting to find, the teams are finding speed with their hypercars as well. Like we said, wasn't all going to come through BOP, but it might come through just those teams getting better at setting up the cars and finding the speed and finding the performance. And if at Monza a track that is fairly similar in terms of characteristics to Le Mans, hopefully we're going to see some uh, uh, a nice, a more expectable margin between the two of them
1: yeah i agree i did expect it to be closer considering what we'd seen at spa where you can get away with sacrificing sector two and generating lap time and race pace from running low downforce and then obviously seeing more of a gap at Portimao, but still pretty close um from what from what we're used to seeing like in previous seasons still very close in the grand scheme of things and that still applies to Monza but I was definitely expecting it to swing back into the you know they're running the lowest aero they can and we're at Monza so they they shouldn't be suffering too much with it there um but also naturally we will see the hypercars progressing as well um so I, I think it's in a that's in a nice place we know the um the 708 Lickenhaus was dropping back into the clutches of Phil Hansen a bit when it had the issue but we didn't really see what we saw at Spa and to an extent at Portimao where the classes were mixing and it was causing a bit of an on-track issue so that's a happy medium I think has been found in, in the race before Le Mans which is good timing.
0: Fantastic timing isn't it it's uh It's good to see. And I think, yeah, like we, we both kind of alluded to this hypercar class now is beginning to gather momentum and find its feet. And I just look forward to what is to come now. Um, Obviously between Portimao podcast and this podcast, we've had the Peugeot 9x8 being revealed. We've had the talk of IMSA and WEC convergence. Look, let's be honest. Uh, we're in for a good time, <laughs> if if all is uh, said, all that is said, is eventually done, if to put the to put the play on the on the phrase. Um, so that concludes the hypercar class. I feel like we have uh, well and truly rattled through the uh, the four categories in wet racing. Uh, again, look, my, my final point would be from this race is please. WBC, please can we go back to Monza? Please feel like it's such a perfect fit for the WEC. I, I would be quite happy with it in this position as a pre Le race. Feel like it fits quite well. Feel like it's quite a good time to go to Monza. Quite a good testing kind of opportunity. I do understand that obviously we're hoping in 2022 that Le Mans moves back to its usual June date, but. I haven't got a problem with a, a May, a May racing Monza. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. A May a May day, away day race for Porsche. Like you said earlier, you know, you're like, you know, they... I'm just it's late, late, all right?
0: I'm not helping you. I'm just going to no, leave you're not you on this me. one.
1: Well, I'm going to drop you in it, because you said the gap between the P2s and the hypercar was uh, not outrageously large, but enough, which is another out-of-context TLB. Um, <laughs> so if you drop me in it i've got ammunition to drop you right back in it really i'm
0: really so what like worried that someone who's good at stats and good at like history or keeping track of something someone like a a wek data kind of twitter page is going to come back to haunt us by quoting us on this kind of stuff i mean say (laughs) ask me basically i'm the one in the firing line here but yeah
1: yeah i'm I'm distancing myself from from it mate point
0: remains monza please let's have it back bigger calendar let's keep monza in there as well um yes we and these it. are the
1: kind of tracks that wc should be racing at tracks with history tracks with character yeah and also the gap between portamao and monza was a nice amount of time i didn't didn't feel like oh, i i desperately need a wc race but i was also like this is, a, this is a good gap between races, which is rare for that calendar to have that. I know in the second half of the year, we're not going to feel that way. So when, when I woke up Monday morning, and was like, oh yeah, it's Monza this weekend. Like that's, that's come around quite quickly, I thought. Like, that's a nice thing to think as a WC mm. fan. So yes, let's have less gaps between races, more races on the calendar, and more races at circuits with character yeah so ideally before Le Mans what we want basically is at least a Silverstone at least a Spa and at least a Monza going forward universe if you're listening
0: WC if you're listening thank you very much signing off (laughs) if he had a mic he would have just dropped it I'd like to say he's wearing a headset but if he had oh he's throwing did you hear that that was his headset being launched across my
1: headset it's (laughs) worth it it's worth it for a better WC calendar (laughs) sacrifices I make
0: very much very much the case well let's wrap it up there thank you uh, very much for listening if you made it this far Uh, again thank you so much for your support of this podcast for uh, you know getting involved I do get messages from followers saying you know they've listened in they enjoyed the episode they've had it on whilst they've been working studying whatever it's great to feel like uh, you guys are accompanying us through this season, and you're listening in, and, and you're joining in this chat. So you know, do feel free to reach out, do feel free to comment, DM, you know, whatever, and just be part of this conversation because it is, it is, you know, as much as it's half and I sat here chatting about these races that we watch, you guys are very much involved in this, and you know, we love hearing what you guys have to think. But half
1: and and what pizza you want to
0: eat off? of which racing car that's, Brilliant. that's
1: the crucial point here
0: right that's the last thing you're going to say in the podcast thank you very much everyone for joining us on episode six of the trb in lap podcast six hours of monza i look forward to seeing you all in the next episode thank you very much for joining us on the trb in lap podcast presented by racing Edge.